Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank You for the good day that You've been pleased to give to us. We're grateful for Your grace. The grace that You give us is new every morning. And we're glad that that's the case. And so we offer You praise as we come to this day and to this particular day for gathering together for public worship. And we ask, Father, that You'd be pleased to meet with us as we do so. We ask, Father, that we'd experience by Your grace a taste of heaven. We pray that You'd catch us up and apply to us Your covenant promises that we might know more thoroughly that You are indeed our God and You and we are Your people. We thank You that all of this comes about through Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we pray that You'd be pleased to bless us as we enter worship together and bless us in our class this morning. Grant us grace as we complete these sessions which have been before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is the final lesson in our series on worship. And I promise that we do the last two lessons on questions and answers. And this is not unusual, but mostly... Uh, the people that ask the questions that are on the board are not here. <laughs> so, class dismissed. <laughs> that doesn't mean you. Uh, that doesn't mean you get to go now. <laughs> uh, so, no, I'll try to go through these uh, these questions. We've answered uh, some of them, uh, but I want I want to start with. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, uh, is there correct worship in other denominations, or there are there aspects of worship in other denominations that are correct? You could you could ask this question in in several different ways, and uh, I, I want to, uh, as we uh, take a look at uh, this particular question, I want to come to this board here uh, because uh, last week when we talked about conscience. I think I may have left the wrong impression with regard to the place of conscience in answering some of these questions. So first of all, is there correct worship that takes place in other denominations? And I would say yes, of course there is. And along with that, I would add... Uh, is there incorrect worship that takes place in the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America? And my answer would be yes, uh, there is. And uh, 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 this latter question I, I will uh, seek to answer uh, in two ways. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, the indictment that Jesus lays at the feet of uh, the Pharisees is... Uh, that they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, it doesn't matter what church you're in. It doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of. Uh, 
this uh, can take place. Uh, this sort of thing can take place. And I would dare say, you see, I'm not uh, laying an indictment against any particular individual, uh, but uh, I would say that uh, I'm quite sure that, uh, that this problem takes place here at Second Reformed Presbyterian Church. Why do I say that? I say that because uh, you and I uh, have more than once, see, I include myself here, you and I have more than once come to worship, and uh, the psalms have been announced, and uh, we sing the psalm, those psalms mindlessly, and our hearts are actually way off uh, in another place, uh, worried about uh, the week to come, worried about what's taken place in the past week, uh, concerned with all manner of other things, rather than uh, the words of the psalm and the Lord to whom we're, we're singing. And so, uh, you see, I think we're prey to the same difficulty. Uh, and uh, the, the, the point is that individuals uh, may have a right heart and uh, come before the Lord and earnestly and honestly pray and sing and worship the Lord. And uh, this is true no matter what church or denomination uh, you happen to be in. Uh, because such individuals, and I, I would hope that uh, uh, we can include ourselves here, that as we approach the Lord, uh, we trust Jesus Christ to give us the access that we need before the great God of heaven. And uh, so, uh, uh, that's in part my answer. Now that... Uh, the, the second thing I would say is, uh, by way of a little story, uh, is that uh, years ago in uh, my uh, wife's uh, home uh, church, uh, the, uh, you would say the church of her nativity, uh, uh, Mineola Reformed Presbyterian Church, which was uh, a, an associate Presbyterian church, uh, before it became part of the RP denomination. Uh, uh, we were there uh, worshiping on a Lord's Day morning in, in a uh, Sabbath school class, and uh, the subject of worship was uh, uh, being touched upon. And uh, one of the uh, elderly men in the congregation who's now gone to be with the Lord, uh, and who had been an elder in the congregation, uh, said uh, quite earnestly uh, with regard to worship, well, uh, we have to understand that we Reformed Presbyterians do things correctly. We do things right. We sing the Psalms. And uh, I thought to myself, time out. <laughs> yes, we are to sing the Psalms, but we are not to take pride in the fact that, quote, we do things correctly if we are doing them correctly. Uh, because all of a sudden we have lapsed over into the area of works righteousness. And we are not right with the Lord when we do that. And uh, so we have to be uh, careful. Uh, so... Uh, my response to the question then 
uh, do, uh, is there correct worship that takes place in other denominations? Yes, I think so. Uh, when the hearts of people are uh, right with God and uh, they love Jesus Christ and they approach uh, God on the basis of Jesus Christ and upon that basis alone. So uh, I would say the Reformed Presbyterian Church does not have a corner on the market. Uh, I don't think uh, that's the case. Now, uh, I'm going to go over to this other board here now uh, with the idea of conscience and Scripture because this, uh, this gets into this whole area of uh, worship uh, in other denominations. And uh, it gets to this first question, or this, actually it's the second one, singing hymns with other churches. Uh, should we uh, sing hymns with other churches? And uh, last week when uh, I got into uh, answering this question, uh, I spoke about conscience. And uh, basically what I said was, uh, if you can go to uh, another uh, church uh, where they do not sing psalms, and you can sing uh, uh, with them with a clear conscience, okay, uh, then uh, I say fine. And uh, my comment might have been interpreted in this way. And uh, so I, I want to uh, uh, be careful here. Uh, my comment might have been interpreted in this way. Let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I would say, no, uh, the principle is not uh, let your conscience be your guide, because if you uh, let your conscience be your guide, you can do all sorts of things <laughs> that are contrary to the Word of God. <laughs> and so, it's not conscience that's king. It's conscience in the light of Scripture. Scripture is our rule, all right? Scripture is always our rule. And it's always conscience, as conscience is tempered by and trained by Scripture. And so I want you to look at two texts here. The first is 1 Timothy 1.5. And this has been the guiding text for my ministry for... A number of years. Uh, older pastors always say, well, you, you ought to have a text for your, uh, you ought to have a life text. And uh, th this has uh, uh, pretty much been my uh, ministry text. Uh, I'd put it uh, this way. And uh, when I was uh, inaugurated as a professor at a Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary and asked to preach, I preached on this text. Uh, so, uh, as the guiding text for my ministry, uh, the goal of our instruction is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And so, we want to love one another. And uh, as uh, I would preach and teach, you see, my goal would be to instill love 
within you and enhance love that is hopefully in my heart. And uh, the way that love uh, blossoms is uh, that, uh, as Paul says, uh, we have pure hearts and good consciences and a sincere faith. And so part of the dynamic is, as Paul says, to have a good conscience. Now, the, the word conscience... Uh, is the word science with the prefix con, <laughs> right? Uh, which means with. And the word science refers to knowledge. Okay. Uh, so uh, conscience is uh, that uh, conscience is that organ within you uh, that acts and says yes or no in correspondence uh, with uh, knowledge that you may receive or actions that you may take. It's co-knowledge. It's, uh, that's the idea. Or it's knowledge with the actions that you take. And, and I think that's a good way to uh, understand the idea of conscience. And so uh, more and more, your conscience needs to be informed by Scripture. Uh, your conscience needs to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit so that it operates properly and it needs to be uh, informed by Scripture so that it operates properly. Uh, so that in the end, your conscience uh, says yes when God says yes and your conscience says no when God says no. Okay. Now, uh, of course... Uh, for many individuals, this is not the case. Their conscience says yes when God says no. <laughs> and their conscience says uh, no when God says yes. <laughs> and uh, so, so they're upside down. Uh, and they turn the Word of God upside down. Uh, but it's always conscience informed by Scripture. And uh, so you're always... See, it's, it's always uh, reacting to uh, the standard of Scripture. Uh, this, is, this is how uh, we must live. And uh, in every area of life, this is the case. Uh, it, it's not just uh, the area of worship that's involved here. Uh, so, uh, to, to help us along this line, uh, Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 22 and 23. Uh, Romans 14, verses 22 and 23. Now, uh, Paul has been weighing in on uh, the whole matter of uh, eating meat that uh, has been offered to idols. And in conjunction with this, uh, he's dealing with conscience. Uh, and as he does so, as Paul does so, he gives us a couple of general principles uh, by which we need to uh, live. And uh, it's, it's these general principles that uh, I want to zero in on. Uh, verse 22, the first part of verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your conviction before God. In other words, 
you have a faith in Jesus Christ and it is your conviction before God that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ died for your sins and paid the penalty due to you for your sins. This is your conviction. And Paul is speaking about the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. In other words, when you have faith, it's not that you do something because someone encouraged you to do it. You see, this is, this is what I have against the whole idea of constraining people to make decisions in evangelistic meetings. You, you, you get people to come forward and you get them to make a decision for Christ and you pray with them and then you send them away and you call them a Christian. But in the end, the faith which they have is not their own conviction before God. They've, quote, made a decision, unquote, because... Uh, their arm has been twisted. They, somebody's taken them to a meeting and they like, you need to go forward, you need to go forward, you need to do this. And uh, so they do it, but it's not their own conviction. The faith that you have, let it be your own conviction before God. See, this is what's really important. That that you know the truth of God and you're convicted by the Spirit with regard to the truth of God and you believe the truth of God and you live by the truth of God. You see? Now, being in that position makes all the difference in the world. And so, faith what you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the man who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, he gets into a circumstance and he knows what's right and he does what's right uh, rather than getting into a circumstance and saying, okay, what shall I do? What shall I do? And then, and then he does something and says, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and it just, uh, things begin to spiral downward. Uh, you don't have convictions, uh, you see. Uh, and Paul says, uh, and here's the, uh, Paul says, well, the, the, uh, uh, the other general principle comes at the end of verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Right. See, Paul says, an idol's nothing. Well, so meat offered to idols, what's the difference? It's meat. Eat it. <laughs> but uh, you say, well, but, 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 but it was offered to idols. Ah, <laughs> I shouldn't eat it. Yeah, but then if you eat, now you've condemned yourself. You see, you're condemned. You're, you're, you don't have a good conscience is what it comes down to. You've got a problem in this area. And, and so Paul says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you don't have a conviction with regard to something, and... You do not act in faith, you sin. The principle is simple. It seems to me that this is the case. Alright? So, now here, here's, here's the question. Should I sing hymns when I go to uh, another church? 
See, uh, you're asking me. <laughs> See, I would say, for me, no, I don't. All right. Uh, I've answered that question. All right. Others have not answered that question, I, and I understand. So some would say, uh, I should. I should sing hymns when I uh, visit another church. And others would say, I should not. And the question arises, should I or should I not? I say, the very question raises the issue, I'm not settled on this matter. Right? Could, could, uh, could be that I'm not settled on this matter. So, uh, I go to another church and I'm like, okay, I'm standing there. Should I sing? I don't know. Should I not sing? I don't know. And uh, in talking uh, with one of the young men in the congregation, uh, uh, this young man said, uh, so it's a catch-22. Yes, it is. It is a catch-22. Uh, because if I, if I don't act with conviction one way or the other, I sin. Correct? This is what Paul teaches. And so, I have a question. I, what do I do? So if I act in one way, I sin. If I act in another way, I sin. I'm in a corner. And uh, it is a catch-22. What is the way out? See, think about this, friends. What is the way out of the catch-22? Jesus Christ is the way out of the catch-22. The, uh, uh, the whole deal here is uh, that in issue after issue, God puts us in a corner. Uh, we don't always have clear answers. This is just one example. We don't always have clear answers. And so, what must you do? You say, okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. God, help me. And give me grace. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Forgive me. You flee to Christ. That's, that's uh, all you can do uh, in, in such circumstances. And uh, in circumstance after circumstance, this is what happens to us. We're put in a corner. We say to ourselves, should I? Should I not? And then uh, we say, Lord, I don't know. But this is the direction I'm going. It's my best judgment at this time. God forgive me if I'm wrong and teach me to understand your word, all right. So, so now uh, the other thing is, you, you see, for me, I believe in the regulative principle of worship, and I, I, I believe it's my conviction that we should sing psalms in worship. So I go to another church, and uh, they're not singing psalms, uh, and uh, the question is answered for me. Okay, the question is answered for me. Uh, now here's the deal. So uh, I stand there silent in the congregation, and 
I do not enter into worship with other people in the congregation. The difficulty is that the Lord says repeatedly with regard to His people, worship the Lord. Come before His presence with thanksgiving. Enter into His courts with praise. That's not an individual thing. That's a corporate thing. That's a corporate command. And so there I am, hearing the corporate command of my sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm saying, no, I'm not going to obey that command. Oops. <laughs> now I'm in trouble again, correct? Where am I? I'm in the corner. Once again, God has put me in the corner. And my only recourse is to flee to Christ and say, Lord, this is my conviction. I'm following my conviction. Forgive me of my sin and carry me forward. You flee to Christ. This is the only solution. And time and time again in this life, this is what we must do. Uh, it seems to me uh, that this is the case. And then uh, we go back to conscience and Scripture. Lord, You need to, ch- uh, to cleanse my conscience and train my conscience so my conscience really is attuned to Your Word. And uh, the other side of the coin here is that I know that this, is not, this work is not going to be complete until... Christ comes a second time in glory and we reach heaven. So, uh, this dilemma, uh, this cul-de-sac, this quandary is going to be with us. It just is. And uh, so, uh, face uh, the truth uh, that this quandary and this cul-de-sac and this dilemma is going to be with us. And you have to settle uh, before God in your study of Scripture what's right. And have a conviction in your own heart as to what's right. Alright? And uh, I can't tell you uh, in every circumstance what that's going to be. Uh, Because I don't want you to do something just because I say it. I want it to be a conviction that comes uh, uh, before God uh, uh, that that's what you do. Alright? So uh, I walk around the mulberry bush a little bit here. Uh, but uh, I wanted to revisit uh, the, this whole area. Uh, I see a sigh. Yes. So, uh, uh, where does this leave us? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And He will have compassion upon Him and to our God. Flee to Christ. This is uh, this is the big point. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, celebration and worship just semantics. Okay. Here, here's another one uh, that uh, that's not uh, altogether easy. See, I I would say, uh, uh, coming from my position, 
where I have defined a celebration as a a secular gathering that we see in the Old Testament, a gathering in which there's singing and there's the use of instruments, but these gatherings are governed principally by the culture uh, of the people in the Old Testament. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, uh, formal worship, which is the worship of the temple in Jerusalem, which is uh, strictly guided by uh, the commands of God, see, that there is a, a real distinction uh, between what I'm calling celebration Uh, in the Old Testament, and worship, which is the formal worship of the people of God in the temple, uh, that there's a real distinction between the two. All right? Uh, Now we come to the 21st century. And uh, this language uh, 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 has kind of been melded. (laughs) Uh, I like to... To say it's a very technical theological uh, terminology, mushed. Uh, the terminology has been mushed together so that uh, worship services have been called celebrations. Okay. Now, say, I would say uh, that uh, when uh, worship services are called celebrations, that the terminology celebration uh, in that context is being used differently uh, than what I have been calling a celebration uh, with regard to the Old Testament. Miriam's uh, leading the people of God when uh, they came uh, through the Red Sea and uh, they uh, sang and danced and Miriam sang a, a song to the Lord. That was a celebration. Undoubtedly, that was a celebration. But that celebration is dramatically different than the worship uh, that uh, was later established by God in the tabernacle and the worship of God that was later established by God in the temple. And uh, so uh, part of the difficulty, I think, is uh, that uh, we utilize these terms in different ways, all right? And so we have to get uh, the biblical notion uh, in our heads and uh, uh, in contrast to uh, the uh, modern day notion. So here, here would be another example of the same thing. When you talk to a lot of people about uh, Colossians 3.16 and uh, Ephesians 5.19 where Paul speaks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, a lot of commentators, and you see this in, in uh, the commentators, a lot of commentators will say, well, well, that's easy. These are, are, are different genres of uh, song. Uh, that they're the Psalms of the Old Testament. Obviously, we all know what hymns are, right? We all know what hymns are. Uh, a mighty fortress is our God is a hymn. And so we all know what hymns are. And uh, we all know what spiritual songs are. They're, they're the choruses and uh, little songs that uh, we sing uh, uh, that have uh, developed over the years. And uh, what we're doing, you see, 
in approaching uh, the terminology, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in this way is that we're uh, bringing 21st century ideas and placing them upon the language of the Apostle Paul that was spoken in the first century. And what you have to do is ask the question, not what do we mean by these terms in the 21st century, but what did Paul mean by these terms in the first century? And uh, uh, the meanings can be uh, dramatically different. And so we have to be careful about this. And I think this is the kind of thing that, that often can be uh, uh, understood by the, this idea of celebration and worship. Uh, okay. Uh, singing, chanting, uh, the, and the Psalter. Uh, th- this is another great question. So we have a, uh, a book of Psalms for worship uh, that has just been uh, published, well, uh, fairly recently published. Uh, which rep- replaced a uh, uh, a purple psalter, uh, which replaced a, a blue psalter, which replaced a green psalter. <laughs> and so over the years, uh, the psalter has been changed. And one of the virtues of uh, the uh, new book of Psalms for worship is that a lot of the archaic language uh, has been taken out. The these and thous and other uh, archaic words uh, that are commonly used uh, in the King James Version uh, have been uh, removed from uh, the Psalter. And uh, uh, what happens, though, in uh, the English versions of uh, the Psalter? Uh, the Psalms, uh, basically, this is the process. First of all, the Psalms have to be translated from Hebrew into English. That's the first step. And uh, what we want is a reliable translation. And then secondly, uh, the uh, English translation of the Psalms uh, has to be versified. In other words... uh, the uh, the psalms need to be transposed from uh, their original Hebrew parallel parallel structure, uh, which you see in uh, in uh, the translation of the psalms, into uh, uh, songs that have rhyme and meter. Okay, and uh, so uh, th- th- this is quite a process. Uh, and uh, the process is actually called prosody. All right, uh, it's not done willy-nilly. See, I used to think that this was the case, uh, that uh, uh, the uh, uh, Psalter uh, versions were just kind of uh, uh, put together in kind of a willy-nilly fashion. Well, some of them have been, but uh, the process of uh, transposing the Hebrew uh, poetry into uh, Western poetry from uh, which has rhyme and meter is a process that's called prosody. And it's a process through which uh, uh, those who are practicing in this sort of thing go 
in order uh, to retain the original meaning of uh, uh, the language, uh, but put it into uh, English language, which has rhyme and meter. And as you can imagine, this is not easy to do. And uh, uh, the, the question uh, would be, uh, is the book of Psalms for worship always successful in this job, uh, in this work of transposing uh, the Hebrew poetry into uh, English poetry with rhyme and meter? And the answer is no. <laughs> it's not always successful. And uh, uh, there are cases where uh, uh, the Psalter uh, has been eminently unsuccessful. And uh, when uh, the current book of Psalms for Worship was first published and it was sent out to the churches, uh, there, were, uh, there was a request that went out, okay, go through the Psalter, give us your feedback, and help us understand uh, what we need to do and how we can improve uh, the, uh, the Psalter and the language. And there were selections as a result of this process that were deleted from uh, the current version of the Book of Psalms for singing. This is just part of the process. Uh, so uh, what are we attempting to do? We're attempting to have a product uh, in the Book of Psalms for Worship that uh, adequately represents the Psalter. Uh, that's what we're after. And uh, as I say, we have not always been successful. And uh, hence, uh, sometimes more explanation as to the content of the Psalms uh, are needed uh, than uh, uh, sometimes we would like. Uh, but uh, be aware of the fact uh, that uh, this is a process through which uh, the Psalter goes and uh, transposing from Hebrew to English rhyme and meter is a specific process that's utilized. All right? And I think we need to understand uh, that this is the case so that uh, we do have a, a result uh, that adequately, and I think th this is what we have, we have a result that adequately reflects the content of the Hebrew uh, book of Psalms uh, for singing. Okay, uh, uh, one other question on the board. I think I've gotten everything so far. One other question uh, on the board, and uh, the question is uh, with regard to uh, the offering. And uh, th this is a uh, uh, seems to be a uh, a continual uh, question uh, that arises uh, even in our own circles. And the question is, uh, uh, does or is uh, the offering an element of worship? That's the question. Okay. My own uh, conviction is, yes, it is an element of worship. Okay. 
Others would say, no, it's not an element of worship. And uh, the the, uh, conviction of those that say it's not an element of worship is uh, that uh, we ought to uh, have a a designated uh, place or designated places uh, uh, in uh, the church or in the back of the auditorium of the church where... Uh, tithes and offerings can be placed, all right, uh, either before uh, the worship service or after the worship service, when the people come in or uh, when the uh, people uh, depart uh, the congregation. And uh, as I say, my own conviction is that uh, the offering is uh, an element of worship. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, puts it this way. He says to the church at Corinth, uh, lay aside on the first day of the week uh, 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 portions of that uh, which you uh, have received or earned. Uh, lay it aside uh, on the first day of the week uh, so that when I come, <laughs> I won't have to go around and take up uh, a special offering and go to each one of your houses and and uh, collect uh, funds from you uh, so that I can uh, take uh, funds back to Jerusalem and uh, other places uh, for mercy ministry. And uh, I think the idea there is uh, that uh, Paul would not have specified uh, the laying aside of funds on the first day of the week, had he not had in mind the gathering of God's people in their corporate worship. Uh, And it turns out uh, that the idea of the laying aside of funds uh, carries with it uh, the idea of a treasury which is kind of interesting. Uh, In other words, uh, uh, the idea would be that there's a treasury in the local congregation. And so, uh, funds would be set aside on the first day of the week and put in the treasury. And uh, then uh, uh, they would subsequently be dispersed. And uh, uh, I think... Uh, A.A., it's actually it's Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge is correct when he says that Paul would not have spoken of the first day of the week uh, in this context had he not had uh, the worship of God's people in mind and their giving as a part of uh, their worship in, uh, uh, on uh, uh, the first day of the week. And uh, so uh, I take it from that then that uh, uh, the offering is indeed an element of worship. And uh, that's how we practice it here at Second RP. Now, as I say, there are differences of opinion uh, in this regard. There are different convictions uh, in this regard. And uh, some of this comes from traditions, that uh, church traditions that individuals come from. Because there are some churches who uh, put a box at the back of the uh, uh, auditorium and the people put in their uh, tithes and offerings 
uh, when they come into worship and or when they uh, depart from worship. And uh, uh, the offering is not considered a an element of uh, worship. So, uh, uh, the idea of uh, the offering. All right. <sighs> uh, do you have a quick question you'd like to to ask me at this point? Uh, okay. Is there a language uh, in the world that's closer to Hebrew? Than English. Well, here, here's the here's the difficulty. That uh, the kind of poetry uh, in which the Hebrew uh, Psalms are written is a particular style. All right, and uh, uh, other Middle Eastern languages uh, utilize a similar style. English does not use that style. Okay? But, but here's the interesting factor. Uh, the style is basically parallelism, parallel thoughts. A thought is given and then a similar thought is given. Or a thought is given and a, a thought which is opposite is given. Or a thought is given and a continuation of the thought is given. So there, uh, there's this idea of parallelisms. And these parallelisms... Uh, can be uh, translated, and they are translated, into any language in the world. So that, if you ask someone who has a Chinese Bible, uh, 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 does your Bible have the same parallelisms as the Hebrew Bible? And their answer is yes. Uh, A Japanese Bible, yes. A Vietnamese Bible, yes. Uh, uh, the poetry can be successfully translated, the parallelisms of this poetry can be successfully translated into any language. That's part of the genius of the Hebrew poetry. Okay? And, uh, uh, but it comes uh, to a little bit of a difference then uh, when we think of Western poetry uh, with rhyme and meter. Okay? <laughs> That's totally different. That's totally different. Okay, Uh, we need to have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for uh, Your goodness and grace. You're good to us in every respect, better than we deserve. And we pray, Father, that uh, we might uh, have consciences before You that are informed by Your Word and that uh, are guided by Your Word so that we say yes when You say yes and no when You say no. Uh, We pray that our lives... Uh, might be uh, so guided by Your Word. And we pray that You'd work within us uh, that this would be the case. And we pray that uh, as a result, uh, we would worship You uh, in spirit and truth, in a truly spiritual manner, uh, before You, uh, raising our uh, hearts uh, and our voices before You so that we would not uh, worship You with our lips only, and our hearts uh, be far from You. But we pray that our hearts might resonate uh, with Your Spirit and that uh, our hearts might be aligned uh, with You and with Your Spirit. So bless us to this end, we pray, and grant us Your grace. And I thank You for the class and for uh, 
It's patience with me uh, over these weeks, and we pray, Father, that uh, you will, uh, by your grace, continually work your word into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.